join me on the platform here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Morning. Um, I went to the cinema a couple of weeks ago to see a film called Inception. I don't know if anyone of you have seen it. Yeah. There's, there's some films, you know, where you have to really concentrate all the way through. You can't go to the loo, you can't nod off, you know, because you know that when you wake up or come back, you will not have the faintest idea what has happened or what is going on. And that was a bit like that film. And when we came out at the end, I said to Al, my husband, I said, you know, I think I did really well because I concentrated all the way through and I really did get what was happening and what was going on. But the only thing I didn't get was I got the, what they were doing, but I didn't really understand why they were doing it. And he said, that was the whole point of the film. <laughs> okay, well, never mind. I enjoyed it anyway. It is a good film. Another film that's been out quite a long time now, in fact, it was even on terrestrial television this week, is a film called The Matrix. And I just want to show a clip from The Matrix just to introduce what I want to speak on today. So please watch the screens. tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. You take the blue pill. show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. quite a short film, wouldn't it, if he'd have chosen the blue, the blue pill? Yeah, not the beginning of a trilogy. So he can choose, he can either choose the blue pill, wake up blissfully ignorant of the truth, and just carry on living his normal life, forget everything that's gone on, it'll all seem like a dream, he might not even remember. Or he can choose 
the red pill and really find out the truth, but then take the responsibility that that holds. And I just want to think this morning about choosing and about choice. And my inspirational character for this series is the character of Joshua. He's in the Old Testament. He starts off as a spy, so I figure he must have been quite good looking. Because have you ever seen a film where the spy was ugly? I haven't, so I'm sure he must have been a really nice looking guy. He was a warrior. And yeah, Joshua. But I'd like us to read from Joshua chapter 24. Then Joshua summoned all the people of Israel to Shechem, along with their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the hill country of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I brought terrible, terrible plagues on Egypt. And afterwards I brought you out as a free people. But when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased after you with chariots and horses. When you cried out to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on the Egyptians, drowning them. With your very own eyes, you saw what I did, and then you lived in the wilderness for many years. Finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave you victory over them, and you took possession of their land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started a war against Israel. He asked Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to him. Instead, I made Balaam bless you and rescued you from Balak. When you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you. There were also many others who fought you, including the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, but I gave you victory over them. And I sent hornets ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords and bows that brought you victory. I gave you land you had not worked for. I gave you cities you didn't build. The cities in which you're now living, I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you didn't plant them. So, honour the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people replied, we'll never forsake the Lord and worship other gods, for the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we travelled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, You're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and sins if you forsake the Lord and serve other gods. He will turn against you and destroy you, even though he's been good to you. 
But the people answered Joshua and said, No, we're determined to serve the Lord. You're accountable for this decision, Joshua said. You've chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied. We're accountable. All right, then Joshua said, Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. I'm just going to stop there. This is right at the end of Joshua's life. He's nearly 110 years old. So that's really quite old, older than anyone here, I think, this morning. So this is his final speech. This is his kind of legacy that he wants to leave behind. He's led these people for all these years. He's put so much into them. He's served them. And this is like his final words to them. You know, you've just read there some of the things that uh, these people have been through with Joshua. And they've gone from a nomadic lifestyle to a lifestyle of ownership. And what does he ask them to do right at the end of his life? He presents all these facts to them about how God's blessed them. And he said, now choose. Nail your colors to the mast. Make your mind up and stick with it. Don't sit on the fence. Sort it out. And then he obviously says, and as for me and my family, we've made that decision. We're going to serve the Lord. All of you here today, some of you I know really well, some of you I don't know at all, some of you I've known a little bit, but there's one thing I know about all of you in this room and me included is that one day at some point in the last however many years, we were born as a baby, yeah? No one else liked to say they came about another way, I don't think so. We were all born as a baby and we, it's like a blank canvas, this is a new life. And you can look back at your life and some of you... That wasn't that long ago, and some of you, it was a lot longer ago. And you can look back in your life and you can say, you know, the way my life's turned out is a result of the circumstances that that have happened to me. You know, you might have had a bad family situation, how you've gone on at school, whether you were clever or not so clever, the amount of money you have or have not had. You could argue and say, well, if I'd have had better parents, if I'd gone to a different school, if I'd had more money, if I'd had more chances, if my health had been better, then my life might have turned out in a different way. And we're all like that, aren't we, a bit? And to be honest, there's a degree of truth in that. I mean, we've prayed this morning for Pakistan, you know, and if you'd been born there, your life would be a real lot different to how it is here, in, if you were born in Hales Owen, or as a lot of people were here weren't born in Hales Owen, but you know, your life can be really affected by the circumstances that you find yourself in. But I believe we're more a product of the choices that we make, the decisions that we make in our lives, than the things that happen to us. You can have a whole load of bad stuff happen to you, but you can still make really good, really inspiring choices. Or sometimes you can have a really easy life and make poor choices. And when Joshua was leaving his legacy to the children of Israel, he made this point. You know, God had cared for them and guided them, even in the wilderness. But they had to make that choice themselves. Choose today. Have you ever wondered how many choices you make in the course of a day? Has anyone ever wondered that? No? (laughs) I did think that as part of this talk, you know, if we're going to talk about choices and decisions, let's see if I can count up on an average day how many choices I make. So, woke up on this one particular morning this week, and right there, right then, right at the very, very beginning, I had a choice. 
to snooze or not to snooze. <laughs> See, when I was a kid, I used to have a blue alarm clock that had two bells on the top and used to wind it up. Now, this shows that I really am as old as Janet was telling you. I used to wind it up and it was mechanical and when it got to seven or whatever, it, something clicked inside and, you know, and you had to turn it off and get up. That was it. No choice involved, really. Now, I have to put my alarm on for about half an hour before I need to get up because I know that I'm going to choose snooze at least three times before I actually make it out of bed. So I'm up, you know, and some of you there, I come to breakfast, I don't have much choice issue at breakfast time because I don't really like cereal, so it's kind of toast or nothing. Some of you may find that harder. You may choose to, you know, you have an inner child that wants Cocoa Pops still, you know, or maybe you're a crunchy nut. I won't ask anyone to admit that, but that might be more difficult. But for me, that's a fairly easy choice. You know, then the next choice, this is a little boring now, but, it, you know, uh, is like, do I go in the upstairs shower or the downstairs shower and, you know, things like that. And then you go to get dressed and you open your wardrobe. Oh, dear. You know, is it going to be warm? Is it going to be cold? You know, and I reckoned by the time I actually left the house in the morning, I'd made about 12 choices. So I'm off down the road and then I made a big mistake in the experiment because I realised we hadn't got anything for tea, so we went into Asda. And I tell you, if you want to count choices, <laughs> do you know how many choices there are in toothpaste? Not that we're having toothpaste for teas, it's getting a bit weird now. <laughs> but basically there were 76 choices of toothpaste in Asda. And I gave up the experiment at that point. But I reckon we can divide choices into about three different types. There are some that are really kind of mundane choices and they really won't make much difference to you. Things like Coke or Pepsi. Coke or Pepsi? Okay. What about fish and chips or Chinese takeaway? Okay, listen for this one. Albion or Villa? Okay, maybe some choices are more, you know, influential on your life than others. But really, in the big scheme of things, these sort of choices aren't going to make that much difference, honestly. Then there are some big choices. And some of you will be going back to, to school in a couple of weeks and you'll be going into year nine and that's where choices kind of start, isn't it? What subjects am I going to drop? What am I going to get out of? Which teachers don't I like and never want to see ever again? You know, and then some of you have chosen college and you've chosen university and these are really big, life-changing decisions. And of course, the biggest decision that we have to make is the decision, do we follow Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord or not? And just as a little aside, just to kind of summarise some of the things that this decision means, I just want you to watch the screens. To be a survivor in this amazing race, with a need for speed, you need God's grace. And if you're desperate like housewives watching days of our lives, you can't cope without hope, and that's not on a soap. If you look into Oprah or Dr. Phil, you can shop nonstop or pop a pill, but the void won't fill and the pain won't kill till you love the one that hung on the hill. Kicking back in your lazy boy easy chair, watching who wants to be a millionaire, nah, you're not going to find it there. No American Idol or Council Tribal has a final answer that'll satisfy you. CSI ain't got a clue, SVU don't know what to do, not the ER, the OC, nothing on a CD, TV, DVD, or MP3 
can save you and me. CNN's got no good news. Here's a headline. You must choose. It's not a simple life, Paris Hilton. It's treading on thin ice, living in sin. You can be an apprentice for Donald Trump or eat Fear Factor fast food from a dump. You can be a heavy hitter, a Wheel of Fortune winner, a Fox News no-spin spinner, a flat-out sinner. But you better check this life that you're living and make sure your sins are forgiven. I bet you 50 cent Elvis Dunn came and went, and eventually every black-eyed P, Gwen Stefani, P. Diddy, and Britney, every wannabe on MTV with the icy bling, every Dixie chick that sings, they all gonna see the King of Kings. I don't care if you're J-Lo or Leno or Bono. One thing you gotta know, someday you're gonna die, bro. Then where are you gonna go? Hey, I'm not talking some punk junk that's irrelevant like your grandma's church from way back when. It's not some preacher feature on TBN that you need to be liking or listening. The real superstar is Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth and the life. One day he's going to split the sky. He's the brightest light and the highest high. So what I came to say and what I'm telling you is don't buy that stupid stuff they be selling you. It's all designed to fill your head and waste your space until you're dead. Here's the bottom line of my rhyme. Give your life to God while there's still time. I felt that was better for her to say than me. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you picked all of that up. It was so fast and so American. But, you know, we have a big choice to make in our life. Do we give our life to Christ or not? And if there's anyone here who feels like, well, actually, this is news to me. I didn't know that. You know, please talk to someone who you came with about it. Find out, check out this big decision that you need to make. But I want to actually focus this morning, or this afternoon now, on not so much the big choices or the little ones, but the kind of in-the-middle ones. These are the choices that seem small and insignificant. They often can be postponed until another day. But you can hang back on the fence of procrastination. These choices are crucial. And the way we make them actually determines the outcome of my life and your life. Go back to Joshua. Remember, he encouraged the children of Israel to serve the Lord. And what happened? The people agreed. They went, yeah, verse 16, they said, we would never forsake the Lord and worship other gods. We too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. How does Joshua respond? You would expect him, wouldn't you, to do a little dance, have a bit of a cheer and go, yes, they've got it. They've got it. But his actual response was quite negative. He said, you're not able to serve the Lord. What was Joshua's problem? Let me explain what, what I think it might have been. Um, some of you know, as Janet's already introduced you, that I actually work at church. So I come on a Sunday like you, and then I come on a Monday, and then I come on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And yeah, I'm around church most of my life. My family are Christians. I'm around Christians most of my life. Some of you think, God, that would be so nice. Some of you think, oh, gosh, that would be awful. <laughs> but, you know, I have to be quite intentional about making sure that I come across people who, who aren't Christians. Otherwise, I just would never really meet anybody. And one of the things that I, I do to sort of step outside the box is I'm a governor at one of the local high schools. And my role on the governing body is the vice chair of personnel. So quite often I get called in to do interviews for new staff that we might be taking on, particularly the kind of the higher level staff. And back in May, I was there for a couple of days. And uh, the school always look after us really well because we're doing it out of the goodness of our hearts, if you like. And um, we had a really, really nice lunch on this one day. And we'd had all this kind of buffet nibbly stuff that you have. And then sitting around, and then the head teacher walked in with two enormous cheesecakes. 
One was like chocolate with like sprinkly bits on and cream round, and the other was a sort of raspberry ripple thing. Really, really nice. Not not sort of a quid from Iceland. These are really nice. And you know, whenever that happens, you're sitting there. Nobody wants to be first, do they? Everyone sits back and goes, "Oh, if I'm first, I'm going to look greedy." No, not going to be first. And so everyone sits back and you get a few jokes about how you can balance calories out by eating celery and weird things like that. And you all know, you know, and one lady said, well, you know what she said? I've just joined Weight Watchers, she said, and I'm not going to eat any because it's bound to be loads and loads of points. She said, so I'm out. Eventually, someone, some brave soul says, no, I want some cheesecake. And in they go and they get some and it gets chopped up and then everyone has some. And at that point, the lady who joined Weight Watchers said, well, you know what? She said, my Weight Watching coach is away this week and I haven't got to go. <laughs> and she said, I've, if I have a piece, you know, I've got a whole week to get over it before she's back and before I have to be weighed and all the rest of it, she said. And the raspberry one must have fruit in it, so that's even better. And before you know where she was, she was, she was having a piece of cheesecake. Now, I'm not having a go at her or anything, but... I did think, I wonder really if she's actually going to lose weight because she'd made a really big decision. You know, she joined Weight Watchers, which is a big decision, you know. It costs money. You've got to go and meet people perhaps you don't know. You know, it was a big decision. But doing that doesn't lose weight, does it? The losing weight comes in the regular daily choices to eat differently. And unfortunately, that probably doesn't include cheesecake. Maybe, going back to Joshua, this was his problem. He has all these people in front of him, all declaring their undying allegiance to serving the Lord, all making a big decision. But what was behind it? How were they going to back it up? What would happen when the going got tough? When Joshua died and the words of his final speech sounded like a dim memory? In verse 23, Joshua says, All right then, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So do we have idols? When we're looking at our relationship with God, do we have idols? And if we do, what are they? An idol is anything that detracts or takes us away from God being at the centre of our lives. It might be something that we worship or give worth to. And there's many things in the Western life that we could consider to be an idol. It could be money. It could be your house, your car, your holidays, even people that you know. But ultimately, in looking at myself and my life, I have to deal with the biggest idol is me. Because everything else grows out from there. I want to be comfortable. I want to be happy. I want to be satisfied. I want to be rich, maybe. <laughs> I want to be successful, popular, significant. And as I search for these things, I need things like money to accomplish many of them. So sometimes it seems like money is the idol, but at the real heart of it, the idol is me. And whenever we choose something, we unchoose something else. And we live in a you-can-have-it-all culture, don't we? I know that as a woman growing up and bringing up children, if you're looking at the media, you can be fed a lie that says you can have it all. You can have an amazing family with really fantastic children and not saying my children aren't fantastic because they're here but you know you can have that you can have a vibrant career dodgy ground you can have a house that looks like it comes from the pages of ideal home you can have time to pamper yourself you can have an amazing sex life you can have no wrinkles at all and a totally flat stomach 
You can be superwoman. I'm afraid you can't. The bubble bursts and you realise you have to make choices. If you spend loads of time on your body and appearance to rid yourself of the wrinkles and give yourself the flat stomach, you can't spend that same amount of time on your career or your family. If you work hard and late every night climbing the career ladder, that's okay, but you won't read many bedtime stories to your kids. And I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. I'm just saying that when we choose something, we unchoose something else. And this isn't just for women, of course, men also. And by choosing to follow Christ, we unchoose to follow this idol of self because you cannot have it both ways. So if I'm choosing to satisfy the idol of self in my life, I will make regular daily choices that feed those desires rather than choices to back up my big decision to follow Christ. It might look like this. I won't read my Bible this morning because I am tired and I need to lie in. I'll be able to read it tomorrow anyway. I won't give my finance today because I'm a bit short and I deserve a nice holiday this year. And after all, I'll get a pay rise next year and then I'll be able to be generous. If anyone can actually remember what a pay rise was in these days of the credit crunch. I won't stop and serve that person today because I am busy and it'll take too long and maybe I can help next week. Just a word of caution, I'm not saying that we should always say yes to every single ask on our lives. I'm not saying that it's never right, wrong to say no. But if we are always choosing I and always procrastinating choosing God, you've got to ask yourself, who is on the throne of your life and have I become an idol? And if we continue to live like that, ultimately our Christian life will suffer because we were saved to, be, to serve, saved to be generous, kind and loving and do that if we need to be constantly building and investing in our relationship with Christ. If we don't, he becomes distant. We can't hear his voice. And gradually, gradually, gradually we find our way to being lost. We made a big decision to follow Christ, but it's like joining Weight Watchers and continuing to eat cheesecake. So what daily choices should we make that will back up this big decision we made to follow Christ? First and foremost, we need to invest in the relationship. We do need to spend time with him in his presence today. We need to find ways to pray today. We need to meet with his people regularly. And as we put him as our first priority, so the voice of the idol of self will grow dim. It's the key to it all, but you have to choose that path. After that, there's many, many choices, inspiring choices you can make that will really back up your choice to follow Christ and will strip the idol of self of its power. And I've just chosen just a few that I want to share this morning. The first one is, today I choose to be patient. You good at that? We live in a really fast-paced world, don't we? And patience can be something that falls to the wayside as we rush to get things done. Last week I had to drive somewhere that I'm a bit unfamiliar with and um, when I was coming back, I came to an island and it said, left Worcester. It's like, no, nope, don't want to go to Worcester, so I'm not going left. Right, it said M5 Evesham. Oh, I don't want to go to Evesham either, so what do I do? <laughs> so as I came around, I was a bit hesitant because I'm like, I don't know this island, you know, I'm really not quite sure. So I chose the M5 Evesham option thinking, well, I do want the M5, so at least that's closest. And I came into a dual carriageway and the left-hand lane was totally clear and the right-hand lane was a queue. 
And I hesitated. And then at the last minute thought, I need to be in the queue. So I tried to tuck in at the end, but didn't quite have enough room. And so I was now half blocking the line, the, you know, the, the lane that was free. So, I mean, it was moving, you know. I looked in my rearview mirror and there was a lady who pulled up behind who was obviously wanting to shoot down the left-hand lane. And as I caught her eye and she caught mine, oh, my goodness. She starts waving her arms about. She turned to a passenger. She pointed to me. She's going like this. I thought, are you French? What? <laughs> Sorry if you're French. <laughs> but she was like, you know, waving her. I thought in a minute she's going to get out and she's going to be banging on my window and there's going to be a real road ra- and about 30 seconds later, the queue moved forward. I tucked in and she was able to go. You know, I held her up, for, you know, out of unfamiliarity, I held her up for about a minute at the most. But she just had no patience. Her time was too precious and she couldn't wait. What about choosing to be righteous? There's an old-fashioned word. It hasn't really got a very good press, the word righteous and righteousness. Because people look at people, oh, they're righteous. They're a little bit holier than thou. They're a little bit a foot above everybody else, a little bit self-righteous. It's not really a very popular word, but it means to be good, honest, fair, right, true, and moral. What does the idol of self think about righteousness? I could be unpopular. I might have the mickey taken out of me. I might miss out on a good time. I might have to pay more tax. I might be rejected. It's a real challenge, isn't it? In the generation when I was growing up, we had really kind of strict rules. And it was like, if you're a Christian, you're separate from the world. And so there were certain things that you just didn't do and places you just didn't go. I don't know if anyone's been watching the program on on Sunday nights the last few weeks about the Amish teenagers. And if you have, I mean, they are, you know, have great values, to be honest, in a lot of ways, but they are so separate from the world. They haven't even heard of, like, JFK or Marilyn Monroe. or They were so, so separate. And as we've sort of moved on, we sort of feel that's actually not right because we are called to be the salt of the earth. You can't be the salt of the earth if all of us are all piled up on the plate all together and leave the rest of the dinner, if you like, unsalted. It's not a healthy healthy way to view it, but we're called to be in the world, but not of it. And what does that mean? And something they used to say years ago is, like, if you were arrested and tried in a court of law for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would the jury turn around and say, well, actually, they just live just exactly the same as everyone else. They behave exactly the same as, as everyone else does. You know, we are called to be different. And in this world that we live in now, the world has, dis- has really dismissed biblical morality as old-fashioned. Having sex outside of marriage and having many partners during your lifetime is considered normal. And we shouldn't expect people who are far from God to behave in accordance with the moral code of a God they no longer believe in. But we need to be different. And God does expect us to live by that moral code, even when it's difficult. And it can be really, really hard, can't it? I'm really glad this morning that we prayed for the guys going to Soul Survivor, you know, because if we hadn't done, I was going to do it in the talk, but that's fine. You know, because young people in a few weeks go back into school, and it's really, really hard 
you know, for them to live a godly life in the, you know, the current situation, to actually get to be 16, the end of school and still be a virgin is actually, from a peer pressure point of view, it's really difficult. And we really do need to pray for these guys and keep praying for them this week at Soul Survivor that God will really deposit the Holy Spirit in them because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to be able to make these choices and it will give them the power to be able to live righteously in a very unrighteous generation. Hang on a minute, you're thinking. We've just sung songs about God being forgiving and loving and gracious and all the rest of it. Absolutely. I don't want anyone to go home and think, oh, well, you know, I've done this and I've done that. You know, God is a gracious God. And God is a loving and forgiving God. And if you've done anything that you think, actually, that really wasn't right, God can totally forgive you. Absolutely, totally. But the Bible also says, should we carry on sinning so that we can experience more of God's grace? And the answer to that, of course, is no. We do need to choose to be righteous. And also there are consequences sometimes for sin that we may be left with. The person who has an affair can be forgiven by God, but they may still lose their family. The person who sleeps around can be forgiven by God, but could still pick up an STI. The person who fiddles their tax return can be forgiven by God, but the inland revenue may not be so gracious. So today and every day, let's choose to be righteous. Today I choose to be generous. This is a difficult one because it touches the wallet very often. And the idol of self gets very touchy here because money has such power. Money does make the world go round, doesn't it? We've seen that with the financial crisis that we've, we've suffered. You know, and I need to be able to have what I want and there's such a lot I need to be comfortable. The Bible says a lot about money. Matthew six twenty four. it says, No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Hebrews 13, 5, stay away from the love of money and be satisfied with what you have. And how about this one, 1 Timothy 6, 10, the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with so many sorrows. And when I read that, oh gosh, that, that sounds so sad, you know? People craving money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And it really stuck out to me, you know, a few months ago when Irene Curtis died, just a little phrase in one of the uh, testimonies that one of the girls, her daughters gave, said, you know, mom had nothing of any material value. And yet those of us who know Irene know she lived a fantastic life of service of the Lord. And she died in peace. And what would you rather have? You know, the antidote for the love of money is generosity. And generosity is such a fantastic experience. And it gives you so much joy. It gives you back so much more than, you know, I know a couple of times when I've chosen to be generous and I've come away thinking, oh, that feels so good. I've had such a good day. I remember a few years ago we were quite financially tight and we had a car bill and someone randomly gave us £400. And... That was such a good feeling that someone had blessed us. But you know what? The car bill was only 300. And the next day, someone came to see me and a friend. And we were just having a chat. And it turned out they had a problem with their car. And they were also quite hard up. 
And just the ability to say, well, you know what? God's given me 400 pounds. I only need 300. I'll give you the other 100. It was just, you know, it just really made my day. It felt great to be able to do that. And when you're generous like that, the idol of self shrinks a bit, a bit, you know? And another time I remember there was a family that my daughter knew and they were living in really difficult circumstances. There'd been a, a separation and there was the mom and the children living in quite a, a rough area and a rough place and went to see them once. And we went in the kitchen and there wasn't even enough, there wasn't even any worktops in the kitchen, you know? She was having to cook the food for a family and put it on the floor and the house was damp, and I, I won't even tell you about the neighbours, because that's a whole other story. But, you know, they were offered another, another house from a housing association, and they moved into this new house. And we went down to see them, and the lady opened the door, and, oh, she looked like she'd been smiling for about a fortnight. She was so happy. She was so excited. Come in, come and see my new house. Look at the kitchen. I have worktops. You know, she was really, really excited. And we were getting all emotional. I was welling up, you know. And then she said, oh, we've got a garden, she said. Come and have a look at the garden. Just as we were about to walk out into the garden, she said, I must just tell you, because I've been living in a flat, I don't have a lawnmower. So the grass is a bit long, you know. And at that point, I thought, you know what? I have two lawnmowers. And, you know, it didn't cost me anything to say, guess what? I have two lawnmowers. You can have one of mine. You know, it didn't cost me anything. But I could have just thought, oh, well. But I gave her this lawnmower. And to be able to just put this little bit of extra icing on this lady's already well-iced cake, to be honest, it was just such a good feeling. And, you know, I just encourage you all. You know, there's times when I've been challenged to be generous, and I haven't. But it's you that misses out. Because to be generous is such a fantastic feeling. Choose to be generous today. And as I started to think about these inspiring choices, it reminded me of Galatians 5.22. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You can turn it almost into a prayer. Today I choose to be loving. Today I choose to be joyful. I choose to be peaceful. Today I choose to be patient and kind. Today I choose to be good. Today I choose to be faithful. Today I choose to be gentle. Today I choose self-control. I'm not going to postpone until the day I wake up feeling more loving or the day I wake up feeling full of joy. I'm not going to wait until my life is sorted and completely at peace. I'm not going to wait to be patient for the day when I have enough time on my hands to mean it doesn't matter. I'm not going to hang around to be kind when someone's kind to me. I don't want to choose goodness and gentleness when it suits me or save it for when I'm being watched by someone else. I choose to be faithful right here, right now, today. I choose because ultimately my life is made up of bricks called today. I lay seven of them together and it becomes a week. 52 of those and I've lived out another year of life choices I want to choose well. I want to make inspiring choices today. I want God to be at the centre of my life and not the idol of self. And just a final point in the book of Revelation, there's some letters to seven different churches. And one of them is to a church called Laodicea. And in Revelation 3.15, it says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. So then because you're neither cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Nice words. No one wants to be vomit, I'm guessing, this morning. Have you ever had a really cold drink on a, on a hot day? It's really refreshing. 
or on a cold day, a really hot cup of coffee to put your hands around. But have you ever gone back to that cup of coffee when it's just been there for half an hour and it's lukewarm and you swig it and it's absolutely horrible? Lukewarm is really not good. There's an advert on telly at the moment, isn't there, for margarine, I think, and it talks about being in the middle and being the best of both worlds. And we all know you can buy bread that's half white and half brown, and it's the best of both. But in your Christian walk, being halfway between hot and cold is not the best of both worlds. It's the worst of both worlds. And Christ says to his church, choose hot. He doesn't want to lose them, because he goes on to invite them to sort themselves out, to be refined, to be clothed in righteousness, and have their eyes opened. He reminds them that he rebukes and challenges them out of love. But get the picture, God wants to know where you stand. Choose hot, preferably, or cold, but at least choose. So if Jesus was writing a letter to us at church today, what would he say? Or if he wrote just to you, what would he say? Or just imagine that Joshua's here and he's gathered you all together And he invites you to stand. Let's stand. Yeah, really. (laughs) And let's listen to what Joshua might say to us as the church in Zion this morning. Listen, Zion, this is what the Lord says to you. I am your God. It is I who dreamt of a spirit-filled community church in Hales Owen. It was me who gave that burden to a lady back in the 1970s. It was me who brought together that first house group of people. I added to your number those who are being saved. Young people, old people. Children heard about me through this church and handed their lives over to me. When you grew too big for that front room, I provided places for you to go. When you couldn't afford the finance to pay for a permanent home, I provided everything you needed. I drew people into your midst with the skills you needed to build this place. You people here today on the 15th of August are some of those people who I call to be part of this vision. People, I have blessed you. I have taken you from dark places where your lives were hopeless and I gave you hope. When you were lonely, I gave you family and friends, brothers and sisters to do life with. I've rescued some of you from abusive, destructive relationships and planted you here where you could grow healthy. You realize that this world is broken. There's something wrong with it, and I've redeemed you from this kingdom of darkness. Set your feet on solid ground. Where you thought you had no future, you now have a future. I have formed you into a resources church. Your fruit overhangs these walls. It stretches out to the far corners of the planet. Your legacy, Zion, goes from east to west, from Africa, Bulgaria, India, Canada, Albania, America, areas of Asia, New Zealand and more have all felt the effects of Zion Christian Centre in some way. So, people of Zion, honour the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped and serve the Lord alone. But if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors or the gods of your neighbours in Hales Owen where you live. As for me and my family, 